Chapter Four of Beautiful Birds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Beautiful Birds by Edmund Sellers. Chapter Four The Red Bird of Paradise. Then there is another very beautiful bird of paradise which is called the red bird of paradise it is no use trying to find out whether he or the one i have just been telling you about is the most beautiful because if somebody were to think that one were somebody else would be sure to have a different opinion but now i will tell you what this red bird of paradise is like and then you will know how beautiful to think them you know those lovely plumes that I told you about, that the great bird of paradise has growing from both his sides under the wings, and how he lifts up his wings and shoots them right up into the air, so that they fall all over him, like two most beautiful fountains that meet in the air and mingle their waters together. Now the red bird of paradise has those plumes, those feather fountains, too and he can shoot them up into the air and let them fall all over him and look out from amongst them as they bend and wave and think how lovely i am just the same as the great bird of paradise can they are not so long it is true but then they are very thick and of a most glorious crimson colour such a colour as you see sometimes in the western sky when the sun is flushing it just before he sinks down for the night people talk about a sky like that and call it a glorious sunset when they see it in switzerland one can see it here too if one likes but it is not usual to talk about it or even to look at it unless one is in switzerland your mother will tell you the reason of this fancy a bird that looks out of a crimson sunset of feathers crimson but with beautiful white tips to them crimson and white that is almost more splendid than orange gold and mauvey brown unless you like orange gold and mauvey brown better it is all a matter of taste but there is another thing that the red bird of paradise has which the great bird of paradise has not got at all he has two little crests of feathers beautiful metallic green feathers on his forehead just fancy not one crest merely but two one talks about a feather in one's cap which of course a bird may have without it being wrong but what is a feather in one's cap compared to two crests of feathers on one's forehead and such crests and besides his crimson sunset plumes with their white tips and the two little lovely green crests on his forehead this bird has two wonderful feathers in his tail they are not feathers at all really that is to say the soft part of them on each side of the quill which we call the web is gone and there is only the quill left but it is such a funny sort of quill 
that you would never think it was one. It is flat and smooth and shiny and quite a quarter of an inch wide. In fact, it looks like a ribbon, a beautiful black glossy ribbon, 22 inches, which is almost two feet long. These two wonderful ribbons, I told you there were two, hang down in graceful curves as the bird sits on the branch of a tree, first a curve out and then in and then out again, just at the tips, so that the two together make quite a pretty figure. Of course, when there is any wind at all, they float gracefully about and look very pretty indeed. And when the red bird of paradise flies, his two wonderful ribbons float in the air behind him, just as if he had been into a linen draper's shop and bought something and flown out again with it in his tail. And yet, to make these two pretty ribbons, which are feathers really, though they do not look like them, the soft part of the feather, which is usually the pretty part, has been taken away, and only the quill, which is usually almost ugly by comparison, has been left. And yet they are so handsome. That is because Dame Nature is such a wonderful workwoman. She can make almost anything she tries to, out of any kind of material. Now, I must tell you that the great bird of paradise has two funny feathers like this in his tail, too. Feathers, I mean, without webs to them. Only his ones have just a little web at the beginning and again at the very tips. All the part in between has none at all. These funny feathers of the great bird of paradise are even longer than those of the red one, for they are from 24 to 34 inches long. And 34 inches, you know, is almost three feet. But then they are thin, not broad like ribbons, and the plumes of the great bird of paradise are so long that they are a good deal hidden by them, and sometimes hardly noticed amongst such a lot of finery. I think that must be why, when I was describing the great bird of paradise to you, I forgot all about them which, of course, I ought not to have done. But we all of us make mistakes sometimes, people who write books just as much as people who only read them. Although, of course, people who write books ought to be more careful. In fact, a great many of the birds of paradise have these funny feathers, and some of them have more than two. If you look for page 77 you will see a picture of the kingbird of paradise, who has two beauties. He is not one of the birds that I talk about in this book. There was no room for him, but that does not matter. He sent me his picture, and it will show you what these funny feathers are like. There is a bird of paradise that has twelve of them. But now I must finish talking about the red bird of paradise. I have told you about the glorious crimson plumes that he has on his sides and the two funny feathers, like ribbons, in his tail. 
and the double crest of beautiful emerald green feathers on his forehead but of course there are other parts of him besides these and i must tell you what they are like too his head and his back and his shoulders are yellow as they are in the great bird of paradise but it is a deeper and richer yellow not the light straw-coloured yellow which he has and which is very pretty too i am sure we should never agree as to which is the prettier of these two birds his throat too is of a deep metallic green colour you know what metallic means now but those lovely green feathers go farther up in fact right over the front part of the head which is his forehead so as to make those two sweet little crests which he has and which help to make him such a very handsome bird the rest of his wings and body and his tail except the two ribbons in it are brown a nice handsome rich coffee brown his legs are blue and his beak is a fine gamboge yellow ah there is a beautiful bird indeed what would you say if you were to see a bird that was yellow and green with crimson sunset plumes and with two long glossy ribbons in his tail and two beautiful crests on his forehead with blue legs and a gamboge bill flying from tree to tree in your garden ah yes if you were to see him like that he would be more beautiful than any bird that has ever been in your garden or that has ever flown about in the woods or fields all over england for he would be alive then alive and happy but if you were to see him dead he would not be so beautiful as any of the birds in your garden no not even as the sparrows which is saying a good deal for the beauty of life would be gone out of him and that is the greatest beauty of all and even if he were in a cage unless it were a very large one with a great many trees in it he would hardly look as beautiful as a lark does when he sails and sings in the sky so however beautiful this bird is you must only want to see him flying about in the forests or gardens of his native land if ever you go there if you do not go there then you must not mind but you must try to imagine him which is almost as good as seeing him if you do it properly but you must never want to see him in a cage that is smaller than a large garden with trees in it or dead in a glass case or a hat it is better that beautiful birds should be alive and you not see them than that they should be killed or made miserable for you to look at now you may be sure that if the poor great bird of paradise is killed because he is so beautiful so is the poor red bird of paradise because he is it is dreadful to be sure of such a thing and it is all because of the wicked little demon and the goddess of pity being asleep when the wicked little demon has been driven away and the goddess of pity has been woken up and it is you who are going to wake her then you may be sure 
that no beautiful birds will be killed, and that the more beautiful they are, the less people will ever think of killing them. But that time is not come yet. It will not come till you have read this book right through and finished it. Now you remember that the great bird of paradise is shot with arrows by a naked black man with frizzly hair like a mop, a man that we call a savage, though, really, he is not nearly so savage as some men who wear clothes all over them. You see, where he lives, it is very warm, so that he does not want clothes, and he looks very much better without them, for his black, smooth skin is very handsome indeed, and so is his frizzly hair. If you saw him, you would think him a very nice, amiable person, for he is always laughing and springing about, and his white teeth do flash so, and his eyes beam, and he looks very pleasant indeed. I think you would quite like him, so you must not despise him because he is not civilised like us. Never despise people because they have a different coloured skin to your own and wear no clothes and are called savages. Perhaps we may be better than people like that. But remember that the angels are much better compared to us than we are compared to such people. But do you think the angels despise us? Oh, no, you could not think that, so you must not despise the savages. Never despise anyone, that is the best thing. Instead of doing that, try to find out what is good about them. There is sure to be something, and often it is something which they have and we have not. Never despise. Well, it is this same naked, grizzly-haired Papuan who kills the beautiful red bird of paradise as well as the great one, but he does not do it with bows and arrows, but in quite another way, which I will tell you about. The birds of paradise are all fond of fruit. They like insects and things of that sort too, but fruit they are very fond of. They like a nice ripe fig, and there are so many fig trees in that country, both growing wild and in the gardens too, that when the figs are ripe, they do not trouble to finish one before they begin another, but fly about from tree to tree, making a bite here and another there, out of just the ripest and nicest. That is a nice delicate way of eating figs, I think, just to take a little and leave the rest. We are so greedy that we always eat the whole fig, but then we are not birds of paradise. But now there is one particular fruit which the red bird of paradise likes better than any other, much better even than a ripe fig. It is a fruit which I do not know the name of. In fact, I am not quite sure that it has a name, except in some language which we would neither of us understand. But you know what an arum lily is, and in those forests that I told you of, there is a kind of arum lily which climbs up trees, for there are climbing lilies there as well as climbing palm trees. This climbing arum lily 
has a red fruit, and it is this red fruit which the red bird of paradise thinks so exceedingly nice. It will go anywhere to get that fruit, and the naked black man with frizzly hair knows that it will. So he makes a trap for it with the very fruit that it is so fond of. But besides the fruit, two other things are necessary for making this trap. One of them is a forked stick like the handle of a catapult, and the other is some string. The Papuan soon cuts the stick, either with a knife that he has bought of a white man, or with a sharp piece of stone or flint, and the string he makes from some creeper, or by rolling the inner bark of a tree between his hands. When he has done this, he takes the fruit and ties it to the forked stick. Then he climbs up a tree that he knows the red birds of paradise come to perch on, and ties the stick, with the fruit fastened to it, to one of the branches. To do this, he takes a very long piece of string, one end of which hangs right down to the ground, and he ties it so cleverly that he has only to pull the string for the stick, with the fruit on it, to come away from the branch, just as a sash that is tied in a bow will come undone when you pull one of the ends. Then the black papuan climbs down from the tree again and sits underneath it with the end of the long string in his hand, all ready to pull it when the right time comes. Sometimes it will not be long before a red bird of paradise comes to the tree. Sometimes the papuan will have to sit there the whole day or even for two or three days, for he is very patient and will not go away till he has done what he came to do. All savages are like that. They are ever so much more patient than civilised people who wear clothes. But whenever the poor red bird of paradise does come, he is sure to see the fruit, and then he is sure to fly to it, to eat it, and then he is sure to get caught in the string. For the string has a noose in it, which gets round his legs, and the frizzly-haired man underneath, who is watching the bird of paradise all the time, just pulls the cord, and down he comes, as well as the stick. You see, he cannot fly very well with the stick fastened to him, and, however much he tries to, it is no use, for the black man has only to keep pulling the string. That is how the poor red bird of paradise is caught, and as soon as he has caught him, the black frizzly-haired man kills him and skins him. I need hardly tell you that he does that, for you know in whose service he is. Then the black man takes the skin to a yellow man, who buys it of him and cheats him a little, and then the yellow man takes it to a white man, who buys it of him and cheats him more and it all happens just the same as it did with the great bird of paradise, until the skin is lying on the floor of the warehouse, with all those other beautiful skins of poor beautiful birds, all killed to be put into the hats of women whose hearts the wicked little demon has frozen. Is it not shocking? But you know how to stop it. You have only to make your mother promise, yes, promise.
promise never to wear a hat that has the skin or any of the feathers of a red bird of paradise in it. Make her promise this before reading the next chapter. End of chapter 4「Chapter Five of Beautiful Birds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Beautiful Birds by Edmund Sellis. Chapter Five: The Lesser, Black, Blue, and Golden Birds of Paradise. Now, I have told you about two very beautiful birds of paradise, and in this chapter I shall tell you about some others. At least, I shall try to tell you what they are like, because not so very much is known about their habits, what they do, or how they live. That is because they live in such wild parts of the world, in such deep, dense forests, and on such high, steep hills. Not many travellers have been into these out-of-the-way places, and those that have gone there, instead of trying to watch them and find out all about them, which would have been so interesting, have shot at them with their guns whenever they have seen them, and have either killed them or driven them away. It is not by killing birds or by driving them away that you can find out much about their habits. It would be much better if these travellers were to take a good pair of glasses and were to sit down in the forests or on the hills and watch the birds through the glasses whenever they saw them. For with a good pair of glasses, one can watch birds even when they do not come very near to one. Then we should know something about them. And the more we know about a bird or any other living creature, the more interesting it becomes for us. One cannot be very interested in something that one knows nothing about. But as one begins to know even a little about it, it begins to get interesting directly. But then, why is it that the travellers who go out to these countries take guns with them instead of glasses and shoot the birds, as well as other animals, instead of watching them? That is a question which I cannot answer. All I can tell you is that it is as I say, and I am afraid the wicked little demon has something to do with it. But now we must get on, and first we come to the lesser bird of paradise. The lesser bird of paradise is something like the great bird of paradise, only it is not quite so handsome and not nearly as big, which, of course, is what you would expect from its name. Where the great bird of paradise is brown, the lesser one is brown too, but it is a lighter brown, not such a nice, rich, coffee-coloured one as the other, and, on the breast, this brown colour does not change into a blackish-violet or a browny-purple, as you know it does in the great bird of paradise. It is brown there just the same. On the back, though, the lesser bird of paradise is all yellow, so that here, if you remember, it has the advantage. But then the long plumes on each side under the wings 
are not so long as in the great bird of paradise, and they have only just a tinge of orange in them, instead of being of the beautiful golden orange colour that his ones are. The tips of them too are white instead of mauvey brown, and the two funny feathers in the tail are much shorter than the great bird of paradise's funny feathers. But although the lesser bird of paradise is not such a beautiful bird as the great bird of paradise is, still it is a very beautiful bird indeed. What bird of paradise is not? And as it is commoner than the other birds of paradise, and easier to get, it is the one that is most often killed and put into the hats that the women with the frozen hearts wear, which is why I want you to jump up and throw your arms round your mother's neck and make her promise never, never to wear a hat that has a lesser bird of paradise in it. And now, what would you say to a black bird of paradise? For there is one, yes, and such a splendid bird. Oh, but, you will say, if he is black, he cannot be so very beautiful, for he cannot be of all sorts of beautiful colours like the other ones. But have you not heard of a black diamond? That is black, but in its blackness all sorts of wonderful colours are lying asleep, and sometimes they wake up and flash out of it, as the sun's rays do out of a dark stormy cloud, and then they go back into it again and are lost, as the sun's rays are lost when the sun goes in. Yes, they are asleep, those colours, and whilst they are asleep, the diamond is really black, but when they wake up and begin to gleam and flash and sparkle and shoot about, then it is not a black diamond any more, although we may call it so. And there may be a dark, deep cavern, so dark and so deep, that you would be quite afraid to go into it, especially at night. But some gypsies, who were not afraid, have gone into it and have lighted a fire and the flames leap up and glimmer through the smoke, and then sink for a moment, and shoot up again, and fall on the sides and roof of the cavern, and make a deep glow in its mouth, and flicker on the leaves of the trees outside, and send out long tongues of flame that make a red light in the air, and lick the darkness of everything that they touch. That cavern was dark and black before the fire was lighted in it, and when the fire goes out, it will be dark and black again. But it is not dark and black just now, whilst the red fire is burning. Or it may be a dark night, very dark and stormy, so dark that it is difficult for people who are out in it to find their way, whilst people who only look out of the window say that it is a pitch-dark night. But now the rain is beginning to fall and it comes down faster and faster, and there is a muttering in the dull sky, and, all at once, a flash of lightning leaps out of the darkness, cutting it as though with a red jagged knife, and for an instant it is day, and you see the leaves on the trees, and the raindrops falling through the air, and the fields with haystacks standing in them, or rivers winding through them, and the distant hills, and the line where the earth meets the heavens. Then, all in a moment, 
almost before you can say, oh, and quite before the great clap of thunder that follows the lightning flash. It is night, deep, dark, black night, again. The night in which there is a storm like that is a dark night, but it is not dark when the lightning is leaping and flashing. It is the same with this black bird of paradise. At first, when you look at him, all his plumage is of a deep, dark, velvety black, a lovely black, a beautiful, smooth, glossy black, a black that seems almost to gleam and to sparkle as if it were jewellery, black velvet jewellery, you may call it, very handsome, very beautiful indeed. Still, it is black, but all at once, all the colours that have lain asleep in it, blues and greens and bluey greens and greeny blues and purples and indigos and wonderful bronzy reflections wake up together and flash out of it like the sparkles out of the diamond like the tongues of fire out of the black cavern like the lightning out of the dark night there they all are flashing and leaping about meeting and mingling then shooting apart playing little games with each other, till all at once they fall asleep again, and there is only the smooth, glossy black, the deep, jetty black, the shining, gleaming, satiny, velvety black, the black velvet, black satin jewellery. That is what a blackbird of paradise is like, like a black diamond, like a cavern with a fire lighted in it like a dark night with flashes of lightning. But now I will tell you a little more about his appearance, for this that I have told you is only just to give you an idea of how that wonderful material, from which Dame Nature, with her scissors, cuts out all her children, for all things that are alive are the children of Dame Nature, can be black and yet have all sorts of colours in it at the same time. First, you must know, so as not to make any mistake, that this black bird of paradise has another name. Indeed, he has two other names, but one of them is in Latin, so we won't bother about that. There are some birds that have no English names, and when we come to them, we will have to call them by their Latin ones. But as long as a bird has an English name, we will never trouble our heads about what its Latin name may be, not we, any more than the bird itself does. And no bird that has an English name ever thinks about what its name is in Latin. In fact, I really do not believe that it knows. An English name is enough for any bird, if only it is so fortunate as to have one. Now this bird is so fortunate as to have two English names. The blackbird of paradise, that you know about, which is what the English people who live in its own country call it, and the superb bird of paradise, which is what naturalists at home in England call it. The superb bird of paradise. Just fancy having a name like that. Supposing a gentleman, some friend of your father and mother, who calls sometimes at the house, were to be called the superb Mr. Jones, or the superb Mr. Robinson. 
only he would have to be very much more handsome than he is at all likely to be before he would deserve a name like that. Well, the two most wonderful things about the superb or blackbird of paradise, after his marvellous black plumage that has all sorts of colours lying asleep in it, are two wonderful ornaments that he has, one on his head and one on his breast. The one on his head is the most wonderful. It is a sort of crest, at least I think that is the best name for it. Some people I know call it a shield, but then that is what they call the other wonderful thing on the breast too. So, if they call that a shield, I think they should call this a helmet, for it is a helmet and not a shield that soldiers wear on the head. I shall call it a crest, but it is one of the most extraordinary crests that any bird ever had. It is like a pair of black velvet lappets, so long that they go all down the back and reach half an inch beyond the tips of the wings. But at the back of the head, where this crest begins, the two lappets meet, and they are joined together for a little way before they begin to go apart. I tell you what will give you an idea of the shape of this crest. Have you ever seen a pair of trousers that have been washed? and are hanging out on a clothesline to dry, with the legs very wide apart, so wide they look as if they had been stretched? I don't know if they really have. Of course you have seen such a thing. Well, that will give you an idea, mind, that is all I can say, of what this wonderful crest that is worn by the black bird of paradise is like. The legs of the trousers are the two lappets, from where they are divided from each other, and farther up, they join and become all one, just as the legs of a pair of trousers do. Only, of course, I need hardly tell you that a crest of beautiful black velvety feathers, glossed with bronze and purple, has a far more elegant appearance than a pair of trousers hanging out to dry, though it may have just a little the same shape. Now, I think you will agree with me that this crest is a wonderful thing, even when it is only lying down along the neck and the body of the bird. But what would you say when you saw the black bird of paradise lift it right up above its head? Which is what he does, you may be sure, when he wants to show off before the hen bird, who has no crest on her head, nor shield on her breast, and whose black feathers, I am afraid, are not nearly so glossy and velvety and have no colours lying asleep in them and ready to wake up all of a sudden. Ah, you would think the blackbird of paradise a wonderful, wonderful bird if you were to see him bowing politely to his hen and lifting up his wonderful, wonderful crest to her. But I told you that this bird had a shield too and when he lifts up his crest over his head he shoots out his shield in front of his breast at the same time, and this shield is something of the same shape as the crest or helmet, only smaller, and always of a lovely bluey-green colour, with a glossy sheen upon it that is just like that upon satin. Yes, always, for the colours that go to sleep in the other parts of the blackbird of paradise's plumage 
keep wide awake in the shield on its breast, or, if you ever do catch them napping, it is only just for a single instant, and then out they flash again, wider awake than ever. So now, if you were to say, as I am sure you would say, that the black bird of paradise was a wonderful, wonderful bird, even if you were to see him with only his crest lifted up, what, ah, uh, what would you say if you were to see him with his crest lifted up and his shield shot out at the same time? Why, I think that then you could not say less than that he was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful bird. Three wonderfuls instead of only two. And indeed you would be right. Yes, he is a wonder, is the black bird of paradise, though I must tell you that he has not any of those long silky feathers that hang down like cascades and shoot up like fountains from the sides of those other birds of paradise I have been telling you about. And he has no long funny feathers in his tail either. You see, he cannot have everything, and his crest and shield are instead of those. They are not quite so beautiful, perhaps, but I think they are still more wonderful. Even when his crest, his helmet, is laid down and his shield is not stuck out, the blackbird of paradise is a wonder. But when he raises the one up and shoots the other out, both at the same time, and says to the hen, Look at me! And all the colours that have been asleep in the helmet or awake in the shield gleam and flash and sparkle together. Ah, then he is a wonder of wonders. Then, do you think he is a bird that ought to be killed and killed and killed, only to have those beautiful bronzy black crests and satiny green gleaming shields of his set in hats where they soon get dull and dusty, and where he can never raise them up or shoot them out or pay proper attention to them, because he is dead, dead, dead? Is he to be killed and killed till he is gone for ever, and there is not one more beautiful black bird of paradise in the whole world? Oh, no, no, no! It ought not to be so. It must not. It shall not, because you will prevent it. Yes, you. You will turn to your mother now, this minute, if she is there, if she is reading this to you, or, if not, you will run to her, oh, so quickly, so quickly, and ask her, beg her, keep on asking and asking, begging and begging her to promise, till she has promised never, never to buy a hat that has a beautiful black bird of paradise in it. Now, as I have said that the black bird of paradise is such a very wonderful bird, as I have even called him a wonder of wonders, perhaps you will think that there is no other bird of paradise quite so wonderful as he is. Well, I do not wonder at your thinking so, and, do you know, whilst I was describing him to you and telling you how wonderful he was, I thought so too. But I had forgotten the bluebird of paradise. 
the blue bird of paradise is quite as wonderful as the black one. Perhaps, but mind I only say perhaps, he is even a little more wonderful. To begin with, blue is a very uncommon colour for a bird of paradise to be. None of the birds of paradise that I have told you about have feathers that are really blue. There are blue lights, I know, in some of their feathers, especially on the head, but still they are not quite blue. You could hardly call them blue feathers, for there is a green light or a purple light, as well as a blue light in them, which makes them bluey-green or greeny-purple, or at any rate green or purple and blue, not just blue by itself. And then, as you know, sometimes all those lights go to sleep, and then the feathers are black. I do not think there is any bird of paradise except the blue bird of paradise, whose feathers are really and truly blue. And I am quite sure that there is no other one, at least that we know of, which has so much blue about it, that you would think of it as a blue bird or that has blue feather fountains, those wonderful long silky plumes that grow out of each side under the wings. That is what is most wonderful in the blue bird of paradise. There is no other bird of paradise that can sit under a blue fountain or look out of a blue sunset. But the plumes of the blue bird of paradise are not so long as those of the great or the lesser bird of paradise, and when he spreads them out, they go more on each side of him than up over his head, and, for this reason, I think, he looks more as if he was looking out of a sunset than sitting under a fountain. You have seen a beautiful sunset often. There will be blue in it somewhere, cool, lovely lakes or bays, or long, stretching inlets of the loveliest, purest, most delicate blue. But the clouds that float in those bays and lakes like islands, or that shut them in and make their shores like great burning continents, are not blue, but rosy red, or fiery crimson, or molten gold, or golden crimson flame. That, at least, is what the brightest ones are like, those that are gathered nearest round the sun. Now, if they could keep all their brightness and glowingness and be blue instead of rose or crimson or gold, then it would be a blue sunset. And that is what the sunset is like that the blue bird of paradise looks out of when he spreads out his plumes, just as the sunset that the red bird of paradise looks out of when he spreads out his plumes is like a red sunset, only of feathers, of course. One is a blue feather sunset, and the other a red feather sunset. And how soft those feathers are, those wonderful blue sunset feathers of the wonderful blue bird of paradise. Oh, I cannot tell you how softly they droop down over his breast, or how softly, how very softly, each feather touches the other one upon it. How softly, I wonder, for I know you will want me to say, as softly as a snowflake falls upon snow? 
Oh, more softly than that. As softly as two gossamers are blown together in the air? Still more softly, even. As softly, then, as your mother kisses you when you are asleep and she does not wish to wake you? Yes, I think it is as softly, or almost as softly, as that. Those are two of the very softest kisses. When your mother kisses you when you are asleep, so as not to wake you, and when the soft blue feathers of the plumes on each side of a blue bird of paradise meet and kiss each other on its breast. Now that is all I am going to tell you about the front part of the blue bird of paradise, for those wonderful blue feathers that grow on each side become the front part of him when he spreads them out. You see, they open out like two fans, with the handles turned towards each other, and meet together on the breast and above the head, so as to make one large fan or screen. Of course, there is something behind this screen, and through it peeks the head of the bird, which is very pretty too. But you don't look at his head. You don't seem to see it. All you see or look at are those beautiful, beautiful plumes, that lovely screen, that wonderful soft blue feather sunset. As for the back part of this wonderful blue bird of paradise, well, that is blue too, most of it. A handsome blue, a lovely blue, a gleaming, shiny, glossy, satiny blue that looks darker when you see it from one side and lighter when you see it from another and which gleams and glints and is very resplendent which is a word your mother will explain to you, however you look at it. Oh, a glorious blue, a magnificent blue, but not such a blue as the blue of those soft, lovely feathers that spread out on each side and curl over and meet and kiss each other so softly on the breast, and the head and neck of the blue bird of paradise, for sometimes he puts them behind the screen, and then they are the back part of him, are of a soft velvet brown that, as you look at it, becomes a soft velvet carrot magenta colour, which your mother knows all about and will explain to you. And in his tail there are two long funny feathers that hang down from the bough he is sitting on, and, and now you must try to imagine him. When you have imagined him, or before you have, if you are not able to, you must make your mother promise. Now what? You know, of course, you must make her promise never to wear a hat with a bluebird of paradise's feathers in it. Now we come to the golden or six-shafted bird of paradise, who lives just in one part of New Guinea, that long part at the north that goes out into the sea, and which we call a peninsula. You have only to look at the map and you will see it. Now I think of it, the superb or black bird of paradise, or shall we say the superb black bird of paradise, lives there too, so I dare say they sometimes see each other. Perhaps they call on each other, for, you see, they are both of them distinguished. One is superb and the other golden. And when two people are like that, 
they do not mind calling upon one another. You see, neither of them can be hurt by it then. A superb person may call upon even a golden person and yet feel quite well after it. And it will not do a golden person any harm at all to call upon a superb person. So, if birds are like people, I feel sure that sometimes the golden and the superb bird of paradise call upon each other. Now, you will want to know why this bird of paradise is called both the golden and the six-shafted bird of paradise. Well, he is called the golden bird of paradise because he has lovely golden feathers on his throat and breast, and he is called the six-shafted bird of paradise because six little arrows, for that is what they look like, seem to have been shot into his head, three on each side. Arrows, you know, are sometimes called shafts. These little shafts or arrows are six inches long, almost as long as the bird itself, and bend right back over his body, as far as to the tail. Of course, each of them is really a feather, an arrow that is all feather. But it is a funny feather, with only the quill, which is very thin and slender, till quite the end, where there is just a little oval piece of the soft web, the part that looks really like a feather, left upon it. That is what makes them look like arrows. But is it not curious that the funny feathers of this bird of paradise are in his head instead of in his tail? I think it must be because Dame Nature wanted to make him a little different. Of course, you will see at once that six feathers like that, to say nothing of his wonderful golden breast, make the six-shafted, or golden, bird of paradise quite as remarkable as the black or the blue or any of the other birds of paradise. Whether it makes him more remarkable, that I really can't say. You must make up your mind about that. The fact is, all the birds of paradise are remarkable. I am sure if they were all together in one place, and you were to say out loud that any one of them was the most remarkable, all the other ones would be very much offended. But now, besides his six little shafts or arrows, and the beautiful golden feathers on his throat and breast, they are very large, I must tell you, those feathers, and sometimes they look green and blue as well as golden. This bird of paradise has two immense tufts of beautiful, soft, silky feathers on each side of the breast. So large each tuft is that when he lifts them both up, as of course he can do, they almost hide him altogether. Then, on the back of his head, he has a band of feathers, so wonderfully bright that they do not seem to be feathers at all. They look more like jewels. Yes, jewels. It is as if some magician had taken the sheen and shining light out of the emerald and topaz and put them on that bird's head and told them to stay there. Then, on his forehead, just above the beak, as if all this were not enough, there is a patch, quite a large patch, of pure white feathers that shine like satin. Really, I think you might almost say that this bird of paradise was the most wonderful of all the birds of paradise. But take care, 
do not say it out loud, or you will offend all the others. Only I forgot. They are not here. Well then, you may say it out loud, if you really think so. I do wish I could have got this bird's picture, but as he would not give it to me, you must look at the picture of the golden-winged bird of paradise instead. He is a very handsome bird too, very much brighter than he looks. Well, this makes the sixth bird of paradise, which I have been able to tell you something about, I mean about their appearance, for very little else is known about them. But, do you know, there are some 40 or 50 different kinds, and of course, if I were to describe them all, or anything like all, which, however, I should not be able to do, this little book would become quite a big book, and there would be no room in it for any other kinds of beautiful birds. So I won't describe any more birds of paradise, but I will just say something, before getting on to the other beautiful birds, about birds of paradise and beautiful birds in general. That means about most birds of paradise and most other beautiful birds. When we talk about things in general, or people in general, we mean most things or most people. But that must be in another chapter, for this one has been quite long enough, and so we must end it. Oh, but wait a minute. Really, I was quite forgetting. First, you must get your mother to promise never to buy a hat in which there are any feathers belonging to the golden or six-shafted bird of paradise. Yes, and never to wear it either, even if she did not buy it, but had it given to her. Of course, your father might give your mother a hat, but if he were to give her one of that sort, he would have to take it back to the shop and change it for another. End of chapter 5 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Beautiful Birds by Edmund Sellis Chapter 6 About All Birds of Paradise and Some Explanations As I have told you, there are some 40 or 50 different kinds of birds of paradise and they are all of them as beautiful, or nearly as beautiful, as those that I have described, each one in its own special way. Of course you must know yourself, or your mother will tell you, that all this wonderful beauty has not been given to these birds for nothing, and I have told you that the male birds of paradise, who alone have it, show it off to the poor hen birds, whose plumage is quite sober in comparison though you must not think that they are not pretty birds too, because they are pretty, though in a quieter style. So they are not really poor hen-birds, that is only just a way of speaking. They are happy enough, you may be sure, for they have their husband's fine clothes to look at. But what is so interesting is that each of these different kinds of birds of paradise has some different way of arranging and showing off his fine clothes. For of course a bird's feathers are his clothes, just as much as our coats and dresses are ours. And besides that, 
Each one of them puts himself into some peculiar attitude, which he thinks is the best one to let his plumage be seen as he would like it to be. We may be quite sure of this, because it is what all birds do that have beautiful plumage, and many of them have regular places that they come to, to run or jump about in, just as soldiers come into a park or common to march about in it and show off their nice pretty uniforms. There will always be a great many hen birds round these places to look at the beautiful males, and there are always a great many ladies round the park or common to look at the beautiful soldiers. Now, would it not be interesting if we knew what all these different birds of paradise did, and how they arranged their plumage, and what attitudes they went into, and whether they ran or jumped or flew or did all three, and all the rest of it? If only there was somebody who knew all that, I think he could write a very interesting book. And if only some would go out into those countries with a pair of glasses or even a pair of eyes instead of with a gun, and whenever he saw a bird of paradise would just look at it through the glasses or with his own eyes, if it was near enough, instead of shooting it. I think he might write an interesting book. I am sure I should find it interesting, and I think you would too. Depend upon it, if any one could tell people what a bird of paradise did, he would interest them very much more than by telling them how he shot it. That is not at all interesting, how he shot it. Do you think it would be so very interesting for people to know how you broke a very handsome ornament in your mother's drawing room? Why, I don't think it would interest even your mother much, but she would be very sorry you broke it, and that it is just how I feel, and I think some other people do too, when a person tells me how he shot a bird of paradise. Things of that kind interest the little demon. If they interest anyone else, I am afraid it is only because of that little demon, because of his wicked powers, and his having sent the goddess of pity to sleep. But I am sorry to say that there is hardly anybody who knows anything about all these birds of paradise, anything about their habits, and how they live and how they dance, and the way they arrange their wonderful plumage so as to make it look as beautiful as possible. Perhaps there are a few people who know just a little, a very little, about some of the more common kinds, but as for all the rest, if anyone knows anything about them, it must be those black or yellow people that we call savages, who live in the same countries that they live in. That is because, when a traveller from Europe goes out to those countries, he always takes a gun, not glasses, or if he does take a pair of glasses, he does not use them, or his eyes either in the right way, and when he sees one of these rare birds of paradise, he shoots it, or else frightens it away, as I told you. Then, when he comes back, he writes his book and tells you how he shot it, or tried to shoot it, and then he says, Unfortunately, nothing whatever is known of the habits of this species. It is not very wonderful that he knows nothing of them, is it? And yet this traveller, with his gun, almost always calls himself a naturalist. Now a real naturalist is a person who loves nature. But is not that a funny way to love her, to shoot her children? 
depend upon it that one of those little bottles that the demon keeps his powders in is labelled natural history or love of nature. You know that his little bottles have generally a false label on them? So I am afraid I cannot tell you much about what the birds of paradise do or how they show off their beautiful feathers. Indeed, it is very much the same with most other beautiful birds and for the very same reason that I have been telling you because people will shoot instead of looking and watching. Just the little that we know about the great bird of paradise, how he has a special tree that he comes to, to have those dances that the natives called Sakaletlis, and how he flies about with his plumes waving or sits underneath them as if he were in the spray of a falling fountain that I have told you. But besides this, I can only tell you just a very little about a bird of paradise that I have not said anything about because, you know, there are so many of them. The little I can tell you is this. Two gentlemen, one of them a Mr. Chalmers and the other a Mr. Wyatt, were once travelling in the part of the New Guinea where the bird of paradise lives, and one morning, when they were up early, they saw four of the cockbirds and two of the hens in a tree close by them. This is one of these gentlemen says about them. If there is any word too long for you, or that you don't understand, you must ask your mother to explain it. The two hens were sitting quietly on a branch, and the four cocks dressed in their very best, their ruffs of green and yellow standing out, giving them a handsome appearance about the head and neck. Yes, I feel sure of that. Their long flowing plumes so arranged that every feather seemed combed out, and the long wires, he means the funny feathers, stretched well out behind, were dancing in a circle round them. Just fancy! It was an interesting sight, I should think so. First one and then another would advance a little nearer to a hen, and she, coquette-like, you will have to ask your mother what that means, would retire a little, pretending not to care for any advances. A shot was fired, contrary to our expressed wish. There was a strange commotion, and two of the cocks flew away. You see what shooting does? But the others and the hens remained. Soon the two returned, and again the dance began, and continued long. As we had strictly forbidden any more shooting, all fear was gone, and so, after a rest, the males came a little nearer to the dark brown hens, quarrelling ensued, and in the end all six birds flew away. Fancy seeing all that! I think it is wonderful that any of the birds stayed after the shot had been fired, and if another one had been, no doubt they would have all gone. Those travellers, you see, were a little better than most travellers are. They did not kill the birds, perhaps they were not naturalists, and the consequence is they have had something interesting to tell us about them. Still, I think if I had been there, I should have had a little more to say, and instead of just saying that the cockbirds were dancing, I should have described how they were dancing, and what sort of attitudes they put themselves into. And I think I would have waited at that place, and gone to those trees again very early next morning, all by myself, to see if those birds came back to dance there. Still, what these travellers do tell us is very interesting, very much more interesting than if they had only written, Here we shot, 
or here we obtained another specimen of Paradisia something elsia, which of course would be the Latin name. Naturalists like to tell us the Latin name of the animals they shoot. If they only had an English name, I don't think they would care nearly so much to shoot them. How sorry we ought to be that animals have Latin names. But now, how is it that it is only the cockbird, the male, of all these birds of paradise, who is so beautiful, whilst the poor hen, the female bird, is quite plain in comparison? Well, I must tell you first that this is not only the case with birds of paradise but that it is just the same with other birds as well in most if not all of the beautiful birds i am going to tell you about it is the male bird that is so very beautiful so that perhaps you will begin to think that this is the case with all beautiful birds and that there is no hen bird that has very splendid or brilliant plumage but this is not so at all you would make a great mistake if you were to think that in most of the parrots those brightly coloured birds that you know so well the male and female are alike and if you were to see a kingfisher the starbird that i told you about in the first chapter gleaming and glancing up a river you would not know whether it was the one or the other the feathers of the female scarlet flamingo are almost if not quite as scarlet as those of the male the cock robin's breast is not more red than the breast of the hen robin at least you would find it difficult to tell the difference male and female pigeons and some of them are very splendid are as bright as each other and so it is with a very great number of other birds now does not this seem funny that some male birds should be so much handsomer than their wives whilst some hen birds should be just as handsome as their husbands is there any way of explaining this or rather do we know how to explain it for there is a way of explaining everything a right way i mean of course the difficult thing is to find it out well there are some clever people who have been thinking about this funny thing and they try to explain it in this way of course when the male birds of paradise and it is the same with other birds show off their fine plumage to the hen birds it is because they want to marry them which is just the same as with people for you know when a gentleman wishes to marry a lady he dresses as nicely as he can and sometimes he goes into attitudes as well now the hen birds of paradise so these clever people say always choose for their husbands the birds that have the finest feathers and the other ones whose feathers are not so fine have to look about for another wife of course after the birds of paradise have married they make a nest and very soon there are eggs in it and then the eggs are chipped and the little birds of paradise come out of them some of these little birds of paradise will be males and some females and the male ones will grow up with feathers like the cock birds and the females with feathers like the hen just as with us the boys sometimes grow up like the father and the girls sometimes grow up like the mother only with birds of paradise it is always so but now amongst these young birds of paradise though all will be beautiful some will be more beautiful than the others more beautiful even than their father perhaps and you may be sure that those will be the ones who will find it most easy to marry and whose will have the greater number of children 
Some of those children will be more beautiful than their fathers, and then they will marry and have children that are still more beautiful than themselves. And so it will always be going on. The young male birds of paradise will always have feathers like their fathers, and gradually they will get more and more beautiful, because their wives will always choose them for their beauty. But the young female birds of paradise will always be like their mothers, and will not become more beautiful than they are, because hen birds of paradise are not chosen for their beauty, but only for their good qualities. Now, if this is true, it shows how sensible the birds of paradise must be, for all sensible persons would choose their wives for their good qualities, and not just for their beauty. The worst of it is that there are so many persons who are not quite sensible. Still, even with us, there are a good many wives who must, I think, have been chosen, like the hen birds of paradise, for their good qualities, which, of course, is what they ought to be chosen for. That is how some people explain why the male birds of paradise and the other beautiful male birds are so much more beautiful than the females. They say that they have gradually got more and more beautiful, whilst the hens have remained plain, and that once upon a time there was not so very much difference between them. And if you ask them why the males and females of other birds are both as beautiful as each other, they will tell you that the children of those birds were always like the father, so that as the father birds became beautiful, for they were chosen in the same way, all the little daughter birds became beautiful too, as well as the little sons. But I am afraid the people who explain it all in this way must have forgotten how the birds of paradise, at any rate, used once to live in paradise, where of course they were all as beautiful as each other, and though their plumage got spoilt when they came out of it, beautiful though it seems to us in the way I told you, yet it does not seem funny that the hens should have had it spoilt so much more than the cockbirds. But you know it was spoilt by the glory which streamed out of the gates of paradise, and which was so bright and burning that it burnt off all the most beautiful parts of it, and scorched and singed the rest. Now, of course, the nearer any bird was to the gate of paradise when it opened, the worst he would have got scorched, and so if the cocks flew faster than the hens, and I am sure they did, they would have got soonest away, and the hens would have suffered most. That explanation seems much more simple, but you see, these clever people do not believe about birds of paradise having once lived in paradise. They have their own explanation of it all, which I have just told you, and they like to believe in that. Then which of the two are you to believe in? Well, I think the simpler one, which is prettier as well, would be the best for you to believe in now. But later on, when you are a clever person, you can try the other. Now you know you are only a little child, and something that is simple and pretty is the right thing for a little child. But a clever person wants a different kind of explanation to that. He wants a clever one. And as soon as you feel that you have become a clever person, there will be a clever explanation all ready for you. But now, whilst you are still a child, I can give you another explanation of why the males and females of some birds are as beautiful as each other, whilst the males of some other ones are ever so much the most beautiful. This other explanation will do in case the one about the cock 
birds of paradise, flying faster than the hens is not the right one, for of course we cannot be quite sure that they flew faster. I did say I was sure, but that was just a little mistake of mine. One is not really sure of a thing until one knows it, and I don't quite know that it happened like that, however much I may think it did. Besides, this new explanation that I am going to give you will do for all other birds, as well as for the birds of paradise, and of course the more anything explains the better explanation it is. So now I will give it you, and if you like it better than the other, you can take it instead, and if you only like it as well then you will have two nice explanations instead of only one here it is in the old days a long long time ago the males and females of all the birds were as beautiful as each other and they were all in love with each other only the question was which of them were the most in love and as to the that they often had disputes we love you better than you love us said the male birds to the females you love us only for our beauty. You do not love us for ourselves, as we love you. If you think so, said the female birds, the beautiful hens, give us your beauty, and you shall find that we love you just as well without it. But the male birds, who were quite content, really, to be loved for their beauty, and who did not wish to part with it, made haste to change the conversation. But you love us for our beauty, said the hen birds, for they soon got round again to the same subject. It is not for ourselves that you love us, but only because we are beautiful. If that is your idea, said the male birds, bestow your beauty upon us, and you shall soon be undeceived. Then the female birds, who only wished to be loved for themselves, and not for what they looked like, gave all their beauty to their beautiful husbands, and remained without any so now of course the male birds were twice as beautiful as they had been before whilst the poor hens were not beautiful at all and would have been quite ugly if they had not been birds for a bird cannot be ugly and now it was found that whilst some of the male birds had loved their wives so much that they went on loving them still in spite of the change in their appearance others and i am afraid they were the greater number left off loving them as soon as they had left off being beautiful, and were not able to love them again, although they tried ever so hard. You see, they had only loved them for their beauty, not for themselves. So as soon as there was no more beauty, there was no more love. So those male birds who had loved for love only, and not because their wives were beautiful, kept this beauty and added it to their own. Their wives did not want it back, for love was enough for them. But the ones who had loved their wives only because of their beauty had to give it back, for otherwise they would not have been able to go on loving them, and that would have been very awkward indeed. That is why in some birds the males and females are as beautiful as each other, whilst in others the males are twice as beautiful as the females. As I told you, this is an explanation which does not well for any other bird as it does for the birds of paradise, and if you like it, you can believe in it till you have grown up from a simple little child into a complicated, clever person. So now there are six birds of paradise that your mother has promised not to wear in her hats, not in any hat that she buys or has been given to her, whether it has the whole skin of one in it, or only just a few feathers, or even one. She will not buy such a hat, and she will not go into a shop to ask the price of it. 
She will have nothing to do with it, whatever, because she has promised. But now do you not see that, as your dear mother has only promised about six kinds of birds of paradise, and as there are some forty or fifty kinds in the world, she might easily buy a hat that had some kind of bird of paradise in it, without it being any of these six. How much better it would be then if you, your dear, dear mother, were to promise never to wear a hat that had any kind of bird of paradise in it, and I am sure she will, now that you have explained to her about the wicked little demon, and how much more beautiful these birds of paradise are when they are alive, and how happy they are too, and how their wives want them to look at, and how there will be no more of them left soon, if people keep on killing them, just to put it into hats. Just talk to her about it a little, and then throw your arms round her neck, and say, Oh, mother, do promise never to wear a hat like that, that has the feathers of any bird of paradise in it. There, and now she has promised. Well, you see how easy it is? End of chapter 6